Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 91 with Sarah Horn. Uh, so she is the CEO and co-founder of Reup Education that helps support uh, stop-out students to return to their studies. So really appreciate their model and that they focus on coaching to kind of build uh, long-term rapport and relationships with the students to help support them to be successful uh, and return to their studies to achieve their academic uh, goals. So um, it's a little bit of a longer episode, but I mean, I was just uh, uh, so uh, kind of enamored with uh, the discussion. It was just a really, uh, really great philosophy and really great discussion about uh, why it's so important, uh, this work that uh, Sarah and her team are doing with Reup Education. So uh, please go check them out. Uh, support their efforts and uh, kind of celebrate their successes uh, really is just a, a great kind of uh, rising tide for uh, really just society at large, more people uh, completing their degrees, uh, getting good jobs and kind of fulfilling their their goals. So I'm so grateful that I got to have this conversation with uh, Sarah. So uh, after this brief message from our sponsor, uh, this is episode number 91 with Sarah Horn. This episode is sponsored by Degree.me, a one-stop college research tool for students. If you work for a college or university, you'll want to learn all about their ability to connect you with the right students at a budget-friendly price. To find out more, please visit Degree.me slash H-E-G. But yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to... Uh to talk with you just because I, um, I feel like just as I've kind of continued to immerse myself in the higher ed tech uh, space, I've sort of stumbled across various organizations doing really cool work and uh, yours, especially just with uh, the work that you're doing with institutions, uh, uh, supporting stop out students and uh, getting them to uh, kind of jump back into their studies and uh, finish their degrees and everything. I'm just really excited to explore how you kind of came upon this work and the work that you're doing now and kind of getting into the, uh, the nuances of all that. So I um, really appreciate you giving some time for the podcast here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and for the kind words about the work we're doing at Reup. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll start at the beginning and as, you know, I guess as detailed as you uh, kind of care to get into it, but um, it's always cool just hearing from folks, you know, if you want to just give a brief introduction of uh, who you are in your professional journey um, and how you got to be where you are today. It's an interesting story. So um, really my professional background started um, being a life coach. Um, so, uh, you know, essentially when I graduated from college, um, I will not disclose exactly how many years ago that was, um, <laughs> but I, it was actually a really demotivating experience for me. Uh, while I went to a competitive institution and had, you know, just about as many privileges afforded to me in terms of having my college paid for, I was a varsity athlete, I got to study abroad. Um, you know, I had the, a very privileged, cliched experience. Um, I was a psychology major, um, and I loved that. And I always have loved learning about psychology even today, mm -hmm. though when you're a senior in college and you're about ready to head out into the real world and that's the major you have, you know, you sort of have two options, or I did at the time. One was continue going down the path of uh, more psychology studies in the form of a master's or a PhD, which I was not interested in at the time, uh, or you get a job in something that's pretty unrelated to what you just spent four years studying because <laughs> you're otherwise not really qualified for much. And I, um, along with my friends, actually 
found that to be really tough uh, navigating the career landscape, knowing that, you know, we're kind of, you know, getting out of college and uh, it was going to be a different world. So I did what some do. I traveled. (laughs) I worked and I traveled and um, tried to figure out what to make of my life. I stumbled across uh, in my travels a university program that was being launched through the University of Sydney in Australia that was really grounded in positive psychology, and they were calling it coaching psychology, focused on helping people to set goals, use motivational tactics, and really look forward um, in improving their lives and making positive changes. And that was an aspect of a psychology that had always resonated with me more so than diagnosing people um, and right. finding faults. And but as soon as I learned about it, I thought, wow, like this this would really help me now. And I think this would actually help a lot of college students. So long story short, what I ended up doing is at the end of my travels, coming back stateside and enrolling in a life coach certification program over the course of about a year and uh, launched my own life coaching business to support college students in being better prepared on the other side of graduation. And I, of course, was at a naively young age to be calling myself a life coach. I had no business doing that, but my intentions were good, which was to help other college students. Of course, that's a terrible business model because college students can't really pay you enough to keep a roof over your head and food on the table. Uh, But I really could not get the... um, couldn't get out of my head and my heart, frankly, that there was a need here to help students make the most out of their college experience. And so what I ended up doing uh, was actually re-enrolling to um, further my studies through a master's and doctorate in sports psychology, so continuing to go down the path of motivational psychology. Uh, And I thought that that would help me to become more um, credible. Uh, And I think to to some extent that's true. I chose a program that was out on the West Coast in the Bay Area. And on the same day that I started my graduate studies, I also started a job at Inside Track, um, which, you know, of Mm. course is still around, amazingly. They're an awesome company and organization. I've learned so much there. Um, That was really where the combination of, you know, life coaching, which I loved and which they were applying to college students and universities, that's where I started to learn about trends in higher education, (laughs) where I started to learn about how universities work behind the scenes. And uh, it really opened my eyes to the uh, challenges with completion rates across the country, which, you know, I guess sort of embarrassing, but also really common. I didn't realize that um, even at that time, and this is like 16 years ago now, 50% of college students that started their degree programs didn't finish. I didn't realize that was the case because that that just wasn't the case where I went to college. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that uh, from that point forward, what I've really done throughout my career is try to marry this focus on what's the right way to help and support students and keep the learner sort of at the focus of this whole experience, because I think that's really the intention. 
um, but also uh, improve student outcomes along the way so that we don't have more people in this country. And it's now, you know, about 36 million Americans who have some college credit, but no degree, and most are saddled with some amount of debt. Um, and I consider that to be sort of the worst case scenario. Um, you know, and, and I'll pause there, but that is sort of how my, you know, uh, I guess at the time it was 12 years of focus on student retention and persistence. That's where my interest started to evolve into, well, how do we get the students that have left to come back? And yeah, I mean, you have so much experience and it kind of feels like, uh, yeah, just like just looking at your LinkedIn, just like in preparation of like, oh, like what, you know, like kind of what was your story? Yeah. Seeing like inside track and uh, other folks kind of working uh, in this space of just, you know, uh, sort of supporting students to be successful and, you know, variety of context and those sort of things. But obviously, yeah, like your roles are always in that sort of coaching and retention and uh, those sort of things. So it's, it feels so much like, yeah, this is like, everything was building to this. Like, this is such a, like a culminating moment of like the intersection of, you know, your experience and your values and, um, those sort of things. So, um, if you want to give folks just kind of a quick primer on, you know, this culminating moment, the work that you're doing now with, uh, re-up education of just sort of like, how does this actually take shape in terms of like how you're working with institutions and working with their, uh, stop out students to, um, get them re-enrolled and be successful when they do to, you know, uh, complete their degrees. Cause like you said, I'm obviously it's such like a huge issue for any number of reasons of just sort of like getting people to be competitive in the marketplace in terms of getting gainful employment, but also yeah, being saddled with debt and not having much to show for it. So, you know, kind of solving for both of those issues. Uh, yeah. Just kind of speaking to the work that you do um, a little bit more detail. Yeah. Happy to do that. I'll, I'll start with um, just kind of the concept of how this was founded in the first place. So, you know, it was really about five years ago that, Paul Friedman, um, who's a serial entrepreneur in this space, uh, incredibly intelligent and wonderful person, and also the chairman of our board, um, and Nitsan Pelman, who's the uh, founder and original CEO of Reup, along with me, we started to talk about, you know, what uh, what would it look like to build a company that was completely focused on helping colleges and universities get students back, and what you know, most of us had known from prior work is that even when institutions um, and teams try to get these students back, it's often done in a very reactive and one-off manner. So, mm -hmm. you know, one campaign before the fall start, <laughs> for example. Um, and it's hard work because these students have barriers in their life. Um, you know, they haven't prioritized school for sometimes a very long time. But obviously, in order to move the needle, when you look at the landscape of the country, if there's, you know, at the time, I think it was about 35 million. And now that number has obviously creeped up over the course of five years. But in order to move the needle in a meaningful way around completion rates, we had to make a dent on the 35 million Americans with some college credit and no degree. And so, um, you know, the inspiration was really just seeing the data in kind of the obvious need and then crafting a way to partner with colleges and universities at the time to provide a win-win model where we at REUP could do the work to find and engage and re-enroll and retain these students, um, but do it in a way that would be 
uh, cost effective for an institution. Um, and so we've always been a revenue share based model, meaning our partners don't have to find money in their budgets to bring us on and start this work. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, you know, really, uh, we have stayed true to our original mission for the last almost four years of being operational. Um, we are, to my knowledge, the only company in the country exclusively focused on supporting stopped out learners. Um, and that truly is our expertise and only focus. Um, and our uh, model for how we uh, partner with universities and colleges has uh, not fundamentally evolved, although recently we have expanded our model to be able to support stopped out learners um, in two additional ways. One, at REUP, we can now support any uh, student who has stopped out of college from across the country and help them to find the best fit program for them to complete their degree um, and do that and provide that support free of charge to the student. Um, And those stopped out learners do not have to be uh, associated with any of our partner institutions to take advantage of that service and benefit. Um, And then in addition, what we've learned over the last, you know, three and a half years is that while for most stopped out students, it makes the most sense for them to return to the institution that they originally left, for about 20 to 25% of stopped out learners, it doesn't make sense to go back to where they left. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, You know, they could have moved. They might have a different programmatic interest. They might have different career goals. They might need a modality that their home institution doesn't offer. Um, And so, up until about six months ago, we didn't have a great solution when we heard those stories and when we got that information. Um, now we do. And when we hear uh, that students actually would be best served by searching for a better fit and ultimately transferring, we can uh, help those students to find the better fit within our network of university partners. Um, and so those two evolutions are still very much in alignment with helping stopped out learners and ultimately improving the completion crisis in this country. Um, But they've, uh, you know, but we've certainly listened to what students across the country need and done our best to adapt to those needs. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, it's a natural extension. Like you're not trying to, uh, you know, change things up too much because I know that's kind of an adage that I've heard a lot is like, you know, uh, talking with people who are are still, you know, kind of working through kind of uh, building their business or, or still kind of in the thick of it of like the early stages of just like the value of focus, you know, it's always tempting to sort of like, you know, be like, well, we could do all of these things. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe sure. You know, but there's definitely a, a lot of value in, in, in the focus there. And I think, again, like it's still focused, but just kind of uh, opening things up a little bit, which is great that, you know, a student could like opt in to do it themselves or, you know, that you're sort of, having this kind of strategic level uh, kind of partnership with an institution that's just like, we need to, you know, work towards like a better, uh, you know, solution to stop that students. Cause like, it, you know, like you said, like kind of it being like a one-to-one thing initially, but yeah, kind of opening that up for the student to get whatever sort of program or institution might be the best 
fit for them is also like a really really good thing and i guess to clarify too like they could uh if they had like maybe um started a program on ground and then you're kind of connecting with them the modality could also be maybe shifted either way is that is that accurate yeah we see students who want to go back both online and on ground um you know and there's a healthy mix of options that our partners offer up and um students have different wants and needs so Certainly the majority of our students have gone back and taken courses online. And certainly now, (laughs) in the midst of a global pandemic, that's the majority of what is happening. Definitely, it's important to not lose sight of the fact that there is a wide range of needs and wants and motivations for students across the country. Um, You know, and certainly what we've found in our support model and also what we see in the classroom is that it's 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 not particularly feasible to do a one size fits all approach <laughs> and that goes for you know what people choose to do in terms of their um modality experience their uh you know their course choice and of course how we support students along the way as well well and on that point too in terms of how you support students like i know you're uh using like a team of success coaches and being you know really um you know uh, I guess going about it in a way that it, that is sort of embodying, you know, um, certain level of empathy or sort of, you know, patience, I'm sure. So I guess if you can speak to that of just like, because I'm sure, I get, you know, you've spoken to that's just like something that's been kind of a calling for you in terms of, you know, kind of a positive psychology model, which I, get, I feel like I, I mentioned this on a recent uh, podcast episode, but like uh, I took a uh, course in my graduate program, uh, my higher ed master's program on positive psychology. And it's so solidified so much of just sort of like, my point of view of how I support students and just go about life of just, you know, so much of it was like very affirming and it was one of my favorite classes that I ever took. Um, (laughs) But, you know, just speaking to that, I guess, of like, you know, when you're working with the student, you know, with your, when your success coaches are working with the students, like the sort of approach and just sort of, you know, I imagine maybe you are kind of playing that long game a little bit, you know, like really trying to build the relationship and find good solutions and those sort of things. So I guess if you can speak to that and really kind of what's, you know, sort of enjoyable for you in terms of being able to work with students in that way. Yeah. um, Gosh, I mean, you know, helping people in general for me is so enjoyable, right? Um, I've really, I've spent my career, of course, focused on applying coaching or, you know, motivational psychology methodologies, both to student support models, um, but also to building teams. And so at REUP, you know, this work has been been so inspiring and we've learned so much along the way. So, you know, I mean, obviously when you co-find a, a company, you uh, do that assuming that you're going to see some success. <laughs> um, and, and we've been very lucky to see that there's a need here, right? Students actually want to go back to college and they need help. There's two major things that... Um, We've learned about the what stopout learners need in terms of motivations and even um, pace and cadence of support that I think none of us really anticipated out of the gate, but have since been solidified. So one of those things is that most of the students that we engage with, and by most, I mean 80 to 90%, still want to earn their degree. Mm-hmm. They And it doesn't matter how long they've been out of college. Um, We support students that have been out for over 20 years. Now, the students that have been out for 20, 25 years, they don't 
all come back at the same rate as students that have been out for three, but they do come back. Um, And most of them, uh, whether you've been out for one year or 25 years, they're coming back for really intrinsic reasons, not extrinsic reasons, which shirks conventional, a lot of what we hear, I think, in the space about why would students go to college in the first place, let alone return. And often the narrative is, well, it's financial, right? You want to get, you want to make more money. You want (laughs) to ultimately show ROI on the value of the degree. And while that's certainly true and everyone wants that, when you really hear the stories of folks across the country and really listen to the why behind, they would completely rearrange their life and their finances to go back to college and make that huge commitment again, it's because they want to make the lives of their families better. They want to be a better role model or a you know uh, show their kids that this is something that can be done. They want to finish what they started and prove to themselves that they can do it and that their story isn't one that ends with you know I wasn't able to complete and and carry on and so. That's one thing that has been really interesting to see and learn here time and time again. And I also find it, in terms of the work we're doing, just so deeply inspiring because what it means is that this work is not just changing the lives of the individuals that are going back to school. This is creating new stories for families and, you know, really new generations of, you know, kids and people, many of whom are first-generation learners and have no other precedent for people completing their degrees in, in these households. And so I think, you know, that just knowing the positive impact that has with our students individually, but also the rip, positive ripple effect that that will have, um, you know, within improving social and economic statuses for underserved populations across the country, that feels like one of the areas where this work is just so meaningful. The other thing that's been really inspiring and that we've learned more about is that you you actually said this is a long game. It is absolutely a long game. Um, w- we see that when we start partnering with um, colleges and universities, it's in years two and three of partnerships where we really start to see more students actually come back. And the reason why, it, it sounds kind of intuitive and obvious, but we don't, we hadn't previously thought about it this way, which is, you know, as soon as you leave college, your life has changed. You make different choices, often out of necessity, and school is nowhere on the priority list. And to get it back on the priority list, even if you have a extreme interest in doing so, requires a complete reprioritization of one's life and time and finances and support. And that takes a long time. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, like I, uh, I never completed my doctorate. I don't know that I ever will. But if someone, you know, from my program contacted me today and started to talk to me about what it would take to go back, I mean, that's not going to happen in a month. That's not going to happen in six months, right? We'd be looking at a year or two down the road before I'd really be able to sink my teeth into that goal again. And that's what we see with students. And so it's both an interesting learning, but it's also really, again, inspiring because 
it's just takes so much work, even behind the scenes, to prepare to go back. And we've seen now tens of thousands of students want to go on the journey to um, ultimately prepare their lives, their families, their finances to take this commitment on. And most of the time, they're dealing with a lot more um, responsibility than they were when they started college in the first place. Yeah, like it's just such personal work. Like you have to kind of contextualize it for each individual student. And certainly you're going to see, you know, some patterns over time and like sort of things that are probably helpful as solutions to help people with, you know, yeah, like managing all their commitments and um, financing their degree and those sort of things. But um, yeah, like my brain was just coming to like that idea of like, you know, what is so compelling is sort of like the intrinsic motivator for people is like, mm-hmm. sort of just that idea of like a comeback story kind of thing. I'm just like, you're like, no, I am not like sort of down and out yet. You know, like I can still push through it. Like, cause I think that's obviously like, it's such a compelling thing is like, you had this goal for a reason. Like you wanted to do this initially, like whether it's just the principle of, yeah, as a first gen student to complete a degree and have that, nobody can take it away from you kind of thing. Or certainly, yeah, like the byproducts of sort of you know, what that credential enables for you. And, you know, maybe not it being exacting of like, you know, well, I want to just like make all the money that I can. It's just like more compelling intrinsic motivation. Like I want to do right by my family. Like I want to provide, I want to like, you know, grow. I want to learn. I want to, you know, uh, do those sort of things. And then sort of other stuff is a byproduct of that. You know, it's like, well, you completed your degree so that it opens up some doors for you in terms of being able to get certain types of jobs and those sort of things. But it's not, yeah, just a purely transactional, like, well, I'm paying this much money for, then I can make this much money after. And so I've crunched the numbers and it's just illogical to not to get a degree or something, you know, like that is like the economic point of view of like what they think, how human beings make decisions, which like that is perhaps a part of it, but not entirely. It it is really those like emotional kind of, you know, those compelling reasons, certainly, you know, I think, and again, it, it, it seems counterintuitive or illogical as like, I can imagine as people establish and grow their families, they are, there is still that kind of lingering unfinished thread of like, I've got to finish my degree. I do want to be able to like, you know, provide for my family more and just provide a good example for my children, you know, like those sort of things when it could seem like, well, you have all these other commitments. How could you possibly, you know, find time to, you know, complete your degree? And then, you know, you're working very empathetically and patiently with the student to figure out, well, yeah, like, what do you want to study? Where do you want to go? You know, how do you want to study? Um, And all those sort of things and just really be, you know, pretty comprehensive, just sort of um, kind of acknowledging each individual's reality um, and all that. But yeah, and it's just it's such yeah fascinating where I, I mean, because I think, like you said, like focusing, focusing exclusively on this and I think, you know, institutions on their own and it just in my experience, yeah, you might kind of just be hustling ahead of like a fall term, just maybe like a month or so in advance. And you're kind of just like, I'm sure it, it, it feels like this for some professionals where you're kind of banging your head against the wall because you're kind of like, there's like an urgency to it of just like, hey, can you like, like you're kind of acknowledging like, can you completely disrupt your life and make it all kind of fit into like this box <laughs> of like attending school? And it's like, yeah, I mean, the semester starts next month. So uh, we need a decision like immediately. And then if it doesn't work out, then they don't hear from the institution. You know, the students, it's sort of radio silence to the students for probably for several months or so, you know, like it's, it's just such yeah. a like kind of transactional quick kind of like trying to kind of pad the numbers of like, Oh, look how many students we got to register or look how many people came back or, you know, like, but it's not done. And sort of that, and like, yeah, like more of that thoughtful way probably more often than not. But again, like you're, you're, you're being thoughtful with the way of like, well, how can we set up a system of like, yeah, the rep share of just sort of like not putting it upon any one sole person entirely, you know, like, I don't know, like it, 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 it is just so, 
fascinating to me because it could, like you said, like there's that model of like a coaching firm where a student has to like come to the coaching firm and be like, here is my money to like help me get back enrolled in college. Like, you know, I think that doesn't make sense because it's like, well, no, they're probably not going to have the resources to do that. Or like, you know, yeah, like a an institution having all the capital to be like, hey, here's like a ton of money. Please try to help us get as many students as possible. And again, in that model, I'm sure there there maybe have been people that have tried to do this, but there's like not as much incentive maybe like to like, we're like, well, I mean, we already got like this huge contract and all this money to help, you know, like we'll do our best. You know, it's like the rev share model like has sort of a purpose in that way of sort of like each side kind of having the skin in the game sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's cool that that has been, uh, you know, something that has worked out uh, kind of for both sides. Like it's been positive, you know, for you and the institution and for the student, like it's, you know, kind of win, win, win. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah so that, that's just really cool. And I guess, um, to speak more, I guess, in terms of like the kind of the finance of, you know, uh, working with the students that you support, cause I think you kind of jumping around some of my questions here, but just in terms of like, you know, no shortage of potential barriers that any individual student would face in terms of returning to their studies. So like, how are you kind of, you know, equipping your coaches to work through different issues? You know, like how, how, how are you trying to overcome uh, what is preventing or kind of getting in the way or providing friction for these students to uh, return to their studies? Like what are maybe just some examples of sort of, you know, how you are able to um, overcome those various issues? Well, as you can uh, appreciate the, the number of challenges that any non-traditional learner faces to come back to college, the, the list is is very, very long. <laughs> um, you know, we do obviously see a lot of themes. So one of the top themes of what would prevent students from coming back are sort of what's getting in the way of that happening immediately. Most of it is life reasons, right? So just all the other commitments happening. It could be their, they have family commitments. It could be job commitments. It could be health commitments. Um, you know, it's just all the, all the life stuff. Um, we all have a life and everyone's really busy. (laughs) Um, and that's just true. Um, there are other challenges, right? So finances can be a real challenge. How am I going to pay for this? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what, what is the actual cost? What does the ROI, those things come up? time is a challenge. You know, how am I going to fit this in? What is it going to look like? Um, you know, you know, we, we attend to field three major questions out of the gate. Um, you know, how long, how many credits do I have left? How long is it going to take me to complete? And how much is it going to cost me? What our team is equipped with, um, is a couple of things. While we have coaches who are, um, highly specialized in this work, uh, they also, uh, many of them have stop out stories themselves, um, which helps because they can talk to our learners and say, you know what? It doesn't say on my diploma that it took eight years. I just have my diploma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's how it changed my life. Um, that is impactful. Um, but we, the coaches, um, you know, we support their work with um, a lot of data driven and predictive technology to better understand, um, you know, and sort of predict what students might be able, might be needing and how we can best support them from a resource perspective. Um, So, you know, we're constantly evaluating and tracking what students say, what that might say about their needs and their motivations, and that helps inform coaches and their work with students around what resources to provide, what to say, um, 
you know, and ultimately when and how to reach out. So, you know, some examples of um, things that we've, uh, you know, seen and, and heard over the years, um, you know, I, I'm recalling a, a story with a single father in Michigan who he um, uh, got on a phone with the coach and, um, you know, ultimately uh, he had wanted to um, be a I'm going to say corrections officer. So, mm-hmm. so maybe that's not, you know, exactly, um, the, the exact right title that he was going for. Right. But he had aspired to es- essentially work within the criminal justice system. Um, and that, uh, was what he was getting his degree in at the time that he stopped out, um, because he was the primary parent for his daughter. He ultimately had to prioritize, um, getting a job that would support, his schedule and caring for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he ended up working um, and was still working at the time that he started to engage with his coach in a Target warehouse. Um, and the reason why that was good is he was making a, a decent wage for him and his daughter, um, but he could work nights. So, um, you know, while he would have a little bit of support from family throughout the days, um, he was mostly, you know, not missing out on time with her. And that became most important. And but when what came out through, you know, multiple conversations and emails and texts um, is that he he did have this dream of wanting to ultimately go back and, and get his degree and get a different job. Um, but he knew that he would um, need even more support from his family in order to do so. And largely that was tied to his daughter um, because he would need help in terms of childcare. And so what's interesting about this one is that, um, and, and this is, again, it's not a unique story, is that um, this was a gentleman who's very close with his family. Um, they were already helping him with childcare reasons, but you know what he had never shared with them is that he wanted to go back to school. And he he was he had only shared that with his coach, and had a lot of fear around um, disclosing that. Um, and it was tied to I think just the unlocking of how much would change, how much he would need to rely on other people, and he'd you know established a lot of pride in being able to be you know sort of a self serving self you know um, independent single parent, and um, you know that. Uh, I don't know that that kind of gets into everything that we do as coaches. You know, obviously his relationship with his coach evolved to further explore a number of different things, right? Logistically, how could he make it work (laughs) if he chose to go back to school, but also how to even have those initial conversations with his support system that he knew he would have to lean on in order to make it work. Um, and so the the work that we do with students is highly personalized in that way as we learn more about not just the challenges they face, but also what their motivations are and what the support structure looks like. You know, these the story that I just told is, you know, it, it's just one example in a line of hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals across the country who are making really trade-offs every day, right, about um, what's the right thing to do and how's the right way to approach it. Um, And it's just, it's not dissimilar from what most people are doing every day. It's just so happens that the issue at hand is, you know, how and when and do I complete my degree? I think that's such a great example. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, the idea of being like a really 
good coach of like building a rapport, helping someone to open up and like, you know, asking good questions and those sort of things, like recognizing that sort of like mental barrier, which like, you know, you unlock that. And that's, I think like a big win in terms of helping someone uh, achieve this goal that they have for themselves. And then, you know, certainly doesn't solve all the other stuff too. you know, because I think, yeah, it's like, you're probably hardly ever going to have somebody like, I have a massive fortune. I have all the time in the world, <laughs> but like, there's just this one thing that's preventing, you know, it's like, it yeah. allows them to sort of be like, okay, yeah, you know, it, it actually is like, because yeah, like I could imagine someone being like, well, that's kind of selfish, isn't it? Like me going back to school and finishing my degree and that sort of thing. And it's like, kind of helping to coach someone out of this, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's like, it's like negative self-talk or, you know, like these sort of things that we all kind of do, but like it building itself up into this sort of brick wall and they're sort of, you know, stuck behind it and then just breaking through and being like, okay, well now I can start to think about and talk about, yeah, like how am I financing it? Like let's, you know, build kind of like an action plan, the schedule of how you're going to, you know, uh, be successful. Cause you know, that can even be it where it's like, yeah, like, you know, some of these other issues aren't as maybe as major, but you know, you're kind of floundering or you, you sort of failed or something because uh, you weren't managing your time well. Like you didn't have a lot of demands, but you're sort of were, you know, um, not optimizing your schedule to be as successful. So it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, focus on that. And then, you know, certainly acknowledge and talk through all the other details as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Such a, such a great example. And I think um, something else in terms of, you know, a lot of what we've talked about too. So this will be kind of a different kind of spin on, uh, one of the questions here is sort of like other positive impacts. I think you've spoken a lot to that in terms of students. But what I'm curious about is like, have you seen any sort of like positive sort of changes in the systems with the institutions since they're like welcoming mm. back all these students and maybe having to kind of recognize some gaps in their sort of like support structures and everything? So any anything there that I guess maybe you would examine? Because that's, I think, just generally institutions are having to kind of augment their sort of digital presence and able, you know, their ability to you know, have students get the support they need on demand and, you know, on mobile apps and whatever, you know, so I don't know if that's sort of led to any sort of positive change on the institution side with the work that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that question. Um, you know, because, you know, obviously the the core focus of our work is to impact students and improve outcomes there. Um, but we work with um, truly amazing partners. Uh, we have 42 schools we're partnered with across the country today. Um, and they are all you know, deeply invested in learning more about how to better serve stopped out learners and how to evolve to, you know, better, you know, serve these students. And so, God, we have so many examples of how institutions have looked at the data we've shared with them. They've listened to observations and recommendations that we've made and then um, made significant changes, I think significant changes for the better. Now, most of those changes end up being pretty tactical in nature so far. So one example is, um, you know, one of our very, one of our founding partners, this, this happens a lot. We get kind of a flow chart of how the re-enrollment process works. And then we start really working with students and with our partners and see like, oh, okay, actually it doesn't work this way at all. <laughs> um, when you put yourself in the student's shoes, this is just not actually how it shakes out. Um, or, you know, this is kind of sort of how it happens, um, but it uh, there there's friction. And so we're pretty quick to provide feedback when we notice these things. We had one partner who um, required high school transcripts um, for students to re-enroll. 
even if they had originally been provided the first time they started, um, as you can imagine, trying to find your high school transcript when you've already been out of college for a number of years is a lot of friction. Um, they did away with that after our feedback, which is great. We have one of our newer partners did a complete overhaul of the information on their website tied to helping students just navigate how to come back to their college um, from the website. And that sounds kind of obvious, right? Like how, you know, <laughs> you, you might ask like, why wouldn't their website sort of like be up to date and, and be obvious? And like, I think the, the reason is no one, no one's trying to make it more difficult. It's just that, you know, this is often a population that for whatever reason is just forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's an assumption that getting students to come back is a lot like getting students to come for the first time or getting them to retain. And it, it's actually fundamentally different, requires fundamentally different support and a closer look at, you know, sort of putting yourselves in the student's shoes and making sure that going through that process that you've designed is one that's student-friendly um, and can answer those three questions as soon as possible. How many credits do I have left? How long is it going to take me to complete? And how much is it going to cost me? You know, our, our we have had, probably not all of our universities make sweeping changes, but so many of our partners have made changes to... Um, really create less friction and be more student friendly on the very, very front end of as a result of what they've learned um, through our partnership and through um, increased work with stopped out learners. Um, we also have a partner who actually, one of our bigger partners who's taken a lot of the insights of what we've learned about their stopouts in particular and why students left and also why they might or might not come back. And they've applied those lessons to making changes to retaining their active students more effectively. Mm. That's an interesting case study sort of in terms of like divide and conquer, (laughs) where they've said like, you've got the students that are coming back, but we're going to apply all these lessons to just keeping more students in school in the first place, um, which makes a whole lot of sense um, and is a really smart way to do it. uh, but they're you know sort of one of the first partners um, that we had to explicitly say that's how they were applying some of the lessons learned, um, and I love that. Yeah, I mean that's fascinating. Yeah, because I mean that's like probably like in this situation at least like the platinum standard kind of thing is like prevent any student from stopping out in the first place. Like <laughs> would be great, you know, because it obviously it's so difficult and complex at times to get a student to return. So like it's like well yes, like let's not give up on the folks who did stop out, but you know. Yeah, by just yeah, getting your systems in a better place comprehensively, that should also be a good sort of uh, kind of secondary effect. Is you know, um, students coming in will be better prepared. Students are more successful while they're uh, studying, and then you know, if for any reason they do stop out, then there's a really great solution to kind of you know maybe give them the space and time that they need, but um, yeah, be willing and open to supporting them to come back if they so choose. Cause I think, yeah, like it is a simple thing sometimes of like any of us have just like, well, yeah, I want to know something. I'm just going to like do a quick search and you might kind of browse around for an answer for anything. And then if it's too difficult, then you're probably just going to give up. But like there was a genuine desire there. And if you're making it, uh, you know, as easy as possible to at least like get in touch with somebody or just like, yeah, understand, you know, uh, degree requirements or so, you know, like stuff like that, where, yeah, it's just certainly to people's, uh, you know, to institutions credit, like they are not deliberately making this difficult, but there's always kind of competing, you know, competing priorities and, you know, limited resources where, you know, yeah, more often than not, I think 
the focus is on just like, we'll recruit as many students as possible. And then you're almost kind of accepting that the funnel will continue to narrow as a student, uh, you know, is admitted and begins studying and all that. Like you're going to keep sort of just like, you know, uh, losing students throughout that entire process, but certainly it would hopefully at least be pretty, uh, you know, kind of more of a straight line. Uh, once you have like admitted students that like, you know, this is like, they're making like a, uh, you know, a smart choice in, t- in terms of the institution and the program and they're supported while they're studying. So, you know, you don't kind of continue to, uh, you know, lose students throughout uh, that time. But, um, well, I guess I'm, I'm curious then as we kind of wind down a little bit in terms of like what's sort of informing your perspective, what you're thinking about and uh, those sort of things. I'm always excited to kind of hear what uh, any guest is sort of reading, watching, listening to, like what's grabbing your attention and kind of, uh, yeah, again, perhaps informing the work that you're doing. So anything that you might want to give a tip of the hat to and we can include uh, in the show notes. These days, probably like many, you know, I'm uh... – well, very buried in the work at hand, um, like many founder CEOs, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you're sort of very focused on what's right in front of your nose. Um, when I can come up for air on Twitter or LinkedIn, um, you know, through Inside Higher Ed, The Chronicle, I-, I would say right now I'm just sort of generally kind of headline following um, and commentary following on just you know, what are, um, what decisions are being made and how are people, um, going to be reacting in the short and medium term related to the pandemic? You know, that, that's not some sort of like existential, you know, sort of theoretical reading that I'm doing to apply to this work, but it's what's happening right here and now is just so relevant to our work in that, Um, You know, obviously we're seeing a convergence of a couple of things. So, you know, if there's 36 million Americans with some college credit and no degree and over 20 million Americans who are now out of work, I don't know the exact overlap between that 36 and that 20, but it's significant. So now we have millions of Americans who um, have some college credit, no degree, and they're out of work um, and really trying to deepen our understanding Um, around how to best serve those learners and how institutions might also be adapting and evolving, you know, in the next, you know, three to six months to better serve them um, is obviously very important work for us. And so kind of just reading a lot about decisions that are being made, um, budgets that are going to need to be cut, (laughs) where people are focusing has been very important. Um, You know, the other thing is that, um, you know, I'm I'm frankly uh, concerned that we'll see more students leaving college this year than um, we than we typically see, right? Um, so there's the risk of actually having more stopouts in 2020, you know, sort of a disproportionate amount. And, and then we also risk having institutions perhaps be ill-prepared to get them back or serve them um, because they're going to have to make sweeping changes again and perhaps... Um, cuts to their budget and staff um, as a result of lost revenue. And so, you know, again, I'm just kind of um, focused in reading on uh, industry experts, uh, really reading a lot from like college presidents, <laughs> um, you know, decisions they're making, uh, things they're saying to sort of inform, you know, wh- what people are ultimately going to do. Um, and how they're really thinking about the biggest problems they need to solve. Um, and then so that we at REUP can really think about, okay, where do we fit 
in being able to, um, you know, in while in the midst of the pandemic and even post pandemic, how can we continue to add value um, and provide support for students who might need this more than ever, you know, and then outside of work, of course, like I'm one of those people who I can't spend all of my waking hours saturated with work-related content. <laughs> I need I need a break from uh, everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, that's um, good. That's good. So <laughs> <laughs> I try to infuse some just uh, like personal um, enjoyment um, in terms of reading and, and watching things. So <laughs> yeah. Um, cause I keep saying this, like for whatever reason, it took a global pandemic to get me into audiobooks. Like, um, obviously yeah. like, you know, I do podcasts and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and all that. It felt like a very natural progression, but I just never got into it. But that's been sort of like an escape, like sometimes, you know, it's sort of like personal development or sort of like, uh, kind of professional development related books and stuff like that. But, um, if nothing else is also just sort of like meaningful, sort of like, uh, you know, sort of storytelling or just sort of hearing, um, you know, people's experiences and stuff like that. So it's like, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm like giving myself the excuses like, well, maybe this will help me be a better employee or something, but it's like <laughs> kind of like tangentially related of just like someone's, uh, you know, story experiences, but yeah, definitely, definitely important to have a good balance and harmony and all that. Um, yeah. cause I think when I'm out of, I was gonna say when I'm out of work, I have, uh, two young children at home who both love mm. to read. So my, my reading is often, you know, children's books in my free time doesn't help anything at re-up <laughs> yeah. um, well no t- I mean like I think yeah just kind of the kind of pulse check you know of just like what's kind of happening in the zeitgeist like what are people saying or not saying you know and like all those things like that's because yeah it's like definitely the you know the fire hose of things happening in any variety of sort of uh, uh, context and stuff like that um, because I think that's what's interesting. Like if you were to read a book or do anything, like it could feel so woefully and unfortunately like out of date if it was like, well, this came out last year about higher ed. Well, uh, you know, it's not really the reality we're facing right now. Cause it's, yeah, like you're saying, like accelerating a lot of, uh, changes and stuff like that, that, you know, were already necessary and happening, but, um, yeah. Everything yeah. feels like very current and very of the moment, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of what we need to be paying attention to. Um, at least that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's what, yeah, like as we keep seeing like announcements of like fall plans and all that and like, yeah, so like what are people saying or not saying and, um, yeah, because I, I know for me, I'm like kind of keeping an eye on just like how many people are just going to be, you know, or how many institutions are just going to be entirely uh, digital, you know, for the fall term. Because I think that that's mm-hmm. perhaps the smarter move in my personal opinion. But um, but uh, yeah, they're just seeing like how long are people waiting, you know, in terms of like, yeah, presidents making a statement or sort of things. But yeah, if nothing else, because it has been so much going on, I've also been able to find more time for like video games and watching shows like because i'm just like okay there's so much going on i'm just gonna like put it down see where it's at tomorrow i'm gonna do a rewatch of breaking bad with my wife you know whatever um so Good show. Uh, <laughs> she's <laughs> never seen it, it yeah so um yeah so we're going on that journey together but um so yeah i mean you know i always like also ending kind of the the final thoughts here final question of you know, on the optimistic note and any maybe, uh, you know, pr- uh, positive psychology uh, adages mm-hmm. or uh, uh, kind of things that you'd want to share, just like kind of like what you're looking forward to or sort of how you're trying to kind of keep yourself motivated, keep yourself positive, uh, you know, yeah, just like what you're looking forward to in your job, life and or the world, however you'd want to take it of just sort of the ending things on an optimistic note. 
you know, I found myself saying recently that one of the, you know, while we're certainly living in a socially isolated world and time, and there's there are so many things to be fearful about, right? There's so much insecurity, um, whether you're feeling it very, very firsthand or not. I think we're many of us are just so empathetic to the the weight of the issues in the world and in our country right now. Um, and it is, it can be all consuming and it can be um, deeply emotional and sad. On the flip side, you know, what part of what I'm seeing, um, not just across the country with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you name it, you know, there's so many, you know, things happening in terms of sort of grassroots um, efforts and voices trying to be raised to draw attention to where, um, you know, change needs to be made and, and really draw attention to sort of moral imperatives. But when you look at, when I look at higher ed, I, in the last few months, um, and really maybe in the last year or so, one of the things that I'm very heartened by is people now more than ever, I think, are asking themselves, well, what's the right thing to do? <laughs> um, and I think we'd like to think that that's always our North Star. Um, but let's be honest, you know, the world of higher education has always been fundamentally competitive um, when you look at university to university. And um, there's, you know, that that's part of how this industry functions, right? Who can get the students, who can get the most students, who can get the most, you know, elite students. Um, I think the attitude is starting to shift. And, um, you know, the, the elite institutions, I think, will always be the elite institutions and will function a specific way. But I do think the last three or four months um, has been a forcing mechanism for you know, institutions of higher education who are serving the majority of learners um, and the majority of people across the country who ultimately need a degree to better their lives. I think there's been a real um, look internal to say, how do we do the right thing by students? Um, and really, what's the right way to move forward? Now, I don't necessarily think or know that anyone has the perfect answer to that large existential question um, at REUP. I think the joining forces of 13 of our partner institutions who are working collaboratively to help students who need it find a better fit, whether or not they return to their school or not, is one signal um, You know, in, in a list of many that is showing a bit of a shift towards this framework of really how do we, how do we continue to make choices that's putting um, students who need it most at the forefront of our decision making. Um, and for me, I'm heartened by that and I find it deeply motivating and I'm looking forward to what innovations and changes come from that shifting mindset. Kind of, yeah, just like my final thought on, on your final thought, because yeah, like <laughs> that networked approach just in general of institutions working kind of better together and sharing resources and that sort of like, yeah, definitely very heartening to me as well. And um, just kind of love to see it because uh, I think, you know, it got into my brain because like it came up in sort of a conversation probably like a year ago, but like how like, you know, we all go to conferences and we're all kind of doing the show and tell of like, here's how I'm doing what I'm doing. And we're, you know, people are kind of sharing their best practices, but like on an institutional level, that sort of cooperation doesn't exist, even though like 
their respective staff members might be like, well, my office did this so we could better support mm-hmm. students. And then this other institution's like, super cool. All right. Yeah, we're going to do that too. And like, <laughs> but then like, yeah, it's like institutions making these strategic level commitments and sort of collaborations. Like there's yeah, such good opportunity there. And cause it's just the idea of like society as a whole that we all live in benefits as we have more people like completing yeah. degrees and like, you know, contributing to society, you know, like, cause it's, a, there's definitely certain times where there's just like, it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of job openings and sort of these like, you know, technical role, you know, like working in the technology sector or whatever, like there's sometimes we're like, we don't have enough qualified people. Like we would happily hire them and gainfully, uh, you know, compensate them and those sort of things. We just don't have the people and like sort of, I don't know, it's just like, there's like, there's an opportunity and I think a great way to get there in terms of yeah, supporting students to achieve their goals and all those sort of things as institutions working together. So we will leave it at that. I appreciate you bringing that up and sharing all that you did and uh, just talking through your journey and the great work that uh, Reup is doing. And we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and Reup uh, in the show notes. But um, yeah, just thank you so much for the time. Great. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I appreciate being able to spend some time together this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.